Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest of heavens. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. While growing up in the church, for me, there were few Sundays as exciting as Palm Sunday. Because on Palm Sunday, as a child, you had a job to do. The church where I grew up, everyone knew that on Palm Sunday, you had to arrive a little early. They would line us up in a hallway by the sanctuary outside the narthex, and they always had these very explicit instructions. They would say, get in a single file line. As any good preschool teacher knows, get in a single file line. You will hold your palm branches and you will wave them as the song is playing. And so we'd say, okay, line up in the line, wave the palm branches. And then the final and the most important instruction of all, you will not hit each other. You will not hit each other. And every year I love Palm Sunday. Because we, the children, we got to hold these palm branches. And we walked down the center aisle as the congregation was singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And I'm sure you'll all be surprised to hear this, but I got really dramatic in my own way. I mean, I took wide steps. I tried to hit all the lights, even though I was this tall. I loved Palm Sunday. It was probably my favorite day of the year, even more than Easter, because we had a job to do. And it went like that for years and years until one fateful Palm Sunday morning. It was just like all the others. But as we were going down the center aisle, there was a boy who was holding his palm branches, and he looked right in front of him, and there was a young girl from his preschool class, and she had her hair in a bun. And he thought, I'm just going to tap the bun very lightly and see what happens. It's like telling a kid not to touch the oven. And so he took the palm branches and he just slightly tapped her on the back of the head. Now, of course, there was no reaction. So he logically thought, surely she didn't feel it. Maybe I'll try again. And he raised his palm branch a little bit higher and he got her on the back of the head. Second time, no reaction. So now the boy is angry. Angry. He took those palm branches up above his head and he brought it down on the girl in front of him. And she turned around too quick and pushed him down to the ground. And I know this to happen because I was the young boy. <laughs> and of course, sort of unbeknownst to me, I'm on the ground. She is standing over. And behind her, all of the other children began to push each other. It wasn't quite like a middle school playground fight, but there was pushing and shoving. And then all of those parents who had said, you will not hit each other come running in to break up the melee that happened in a center aisle in the middle of a perfect worship service at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And that was the last time they ever let the children carry in the palm branches to start the service. And I, I tell you that story, one, because I think it's funny, and two, I need to repent because I'm a little ashamed that that happened. But also because the longer I've been a pastor, now I don't want that to ever happen here. I don't want to have to break up a fight of our children and youth with palm branches. 
But the truth is, the feeling of that day, of that brawl, was probably closer to what Jesus was experiencing on Palm Sunday than certainly what we do in church every single year. Because this world around us, it revolves around violence and war and aggression and fighting. And so we have this question that always remains, how can we possibly be a people of peace when violence and conflict rule everything else? Because when we open our eyes to the brokenness of the world, we cannot ignore the immense pain and conflict and destruction that's all around us. On Thursday night, we had a Bible study here at the church, and I wasn't planning to do it, but I just asked the people in attendance to think about the brokenness they've seen in the world. Not on the other side of the planet, but here in Woodbridge. Where do they see brokenness? And I had a marker, and I said, I'm going to start writing them on the board. And in just two minutes, I ran out of space. There is brokenness Everywhere. We are a broken people living in a broken world. And the people in the days of Jesus, the people in Jerusalem, they were crying out of deep fear and pain and grief when this Messiah rolled into town. Like the scores of young people all across our country and all across the world who marched yesterday, the people in Jerusalem saw the world around them as broken and they wanted a change. Jesus came proclaiming, the kingdom of God is near. And everybody assumed they knew what that meant. Even the, the disciples had their own ideas about who this Messiah was. And all were eager to make sure their understanding, their expectations of a new regime were met in this person going into the town. And so they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And when we hear that, we might imagine in our minds children singing in perfect four-part harmony. Or if you're like me, you might even imagine that scene from Jesus Christ Superstar when a bunch of hippies are dancing around a white Jesus in color-coordinated outfits. But those scenes, they do a disservice to the truth. Because the people in Jerusalem, they were looking for a revolution. It's really hard to translate the word Hosanna. We don't have anything quite like it in our lexicon, but the closest is the phrase, save us. It's emphatic. It's a desire for the status quo to be disrupted. It is a call of desperation. Hosanna. And that same word was shouted in those same streets 150 years before Jesus. There was a Hebrew family named the Maccabees who stirred up a violent political revolution that somehow drove the mighty Roman Empire out of Jerusalem. And that family ruled until, of course, Rome returned and exerted their power once again. So when the people during the day of Jesus, they're shouting out Hosanna, they're doing so with the memory of what had happened 150 years before the last time a revolutionary paraded into town. Their cries to be saved... They were delivered with an expectation that blood would soon roll through the streets because they were going to get their city back. But of course, by the end of the week, only Jesus' blood would be rolling in the street. If this sounds difficult to process, if, if you're having a hard time rationalizing in your mind that Jesus on Palm Sunday is more like Che Guevara than Mother Teresa, it's because churches like ours have watered down the frightening truth that this was the beginning of a revolution. 
I find it funny that we just, uh, we were just singing two hymns in which we talk about the children singing Hosanna, the children waving their palm branches. That's not in the Bible. It doesn't say anywhere that the children were joyfully screaming and singing for Hosanna. It's the adults. They want things to change. And Jesus rode straight into the heart of the empire's kingdom in Jerusalem, into the realm in which violence and destruction ruled, and the people gathered and they shouted and they cheered for him, Hosanna, save us, give us our city back. And he did it all on the back of a colt, with no weapon but the word. Jesus was and forever will be a revolutionary. But his revolution is one that begins in the heart and then it transforms the world. His way is a new way. It's a new kingdom, a new covenant in which strength is found in simplicity, wealth in generosity, in power and humility. No one's blood would be spilled in that city. Only Jesus's. Jesus who heard the crowd say, save us, save us, save us on Sunday. And by Friday they said, crucify, crucify. Crucify. And all the while, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. When we imagine the scene, we kind of picture the parade and the cult and the palm branches, but the majority of the story is about the plan. Go find me a cult. Bring it to me here. He knows what he's doing. Because all of these elements, they point to how Jesus is turning the world upside down. He began at the Mount of Olives which was the traditional location from which people expected the final battle to begin. Jesus sends his disciples out for provisions, but not for weapons or for food, but for a colt, not even a full-grown donkey, and for palm branches. There are no weapons required, only one's presence. It is a parody of power. It was the beginning of a revolution. And problematically, when we think about this, we have an air of levity about it. We like to sing and laugh and dance, thinking about Jesus entering the city. But this event cannot and should not be limited to children waving palm branches on a Sunday morning, or even a whole congregation with cute smiles and contentment. Because that's not what it was like. Palm Sunday is about Jesus. It's about his willingness to upset the status quo, about him subverting the powers and principalities of the world with a new revolution. On the other side of Easter, as these disciples returned back into the fold, they started this thing called the ecclesia, the gathering of the church. And they did some weird subversive stuff. They gathered together to share a meal. They gathered together to share prayers, to sing songs. And at first... The Romans and everybody else in power, they didn't care. It's just a group of people gathering at night to eat and to sing. Who cares about that? But they started to grow. And then they started to hear about their message. These crazy people, they call themselves Christians. They're giving all they have so that the poor have wealth. They're giving all they have so that the naked have clothes. They give all they have so that the hungry are fed. And when you're in power... That starts to sound a little frightening. So the earliest Christians, they called themselves disciples of Jesus. But the first time anyone outside the church labeled them as something, do you know what they were called? World turners. The first Christians were called world turners. Because they were turning the world upside down. 
They were upsetting the expectations. They were the ones saying, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Those with power shall have it taken away, and those with nothing shall be elevated into places of righteousness. And when you're the powerful, that sounds like a revolution. Uh, if any of you turned your televisions on yesterday, or got on your computers, you no doubt saw millions of young people in this country Millions of people all over the world marching toward the places of power and saying that a change needs to come. I, I watched a little video of one of the students from uh, the high school in Florida, um, Good Way in America, yesterday, and they were asking him all these questions. What is it that you're hoping to accomplish? What do you want to see changed? And he said, I don't care if Congress is with us or against us. Change is coming. That sounds pretty subversive, does it not? He said, I don't care who's with us, change is coming. And they kept going back and forth and back and forth. And finally, he ended by saying, today the revolution begins. And I thought a lot about that. Because, frankly, I think the church should be the kind of people who agree with the world being more peaceful. But there was one thing about which he said that was wrong. The revolution didn't begin yesterday. Begin on Palm Sunday. We offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. Amen.